Hey there, Josh Felber with Making Bank. Today's episode is gonna just blow your mind if you've ever heard of the whisper, whether it's the dog whisper, the horse whisper, whatever that may be. They're able to connect and communicate to that specific animal there. <laughs> so if you're looking for how to sell better, how to connect your message better, how to emotionally connect people to who you are, what you're doing, or what you're selling, then you got to stick around and watch today's guest. He's also known as the Pitch Whisperer. His TEDx talk has had over a million views, and he's worked with massively gigantic, huge companies and helping them sell better, teach their message better, send their message better, and connect with their audience better. So if you're looking for something like that for you or your business, got to check out John Livesey in today's episode of Making Bank. And guys, I appreciate your time watching these episodes. Make sure you guys like, comment, and share. Push that video out there. Share that with a friend and comment down below because the guests love it when you comment. You ask some questions because they're there to help you and help you become better in your business, in your life, whatever that may be. So thanks again for watching Making Bank. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. John Livesey, a.k.a. The Pitch Whisperer, is an incredible keynote speaker. His TEDx talk, Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life, has over 1 million views and was featured on The Larry King Show. He has an innate ability to motivate companies, sales teams to turn mundane case studies into compelling case stories so they win more new business. So I'm super excited to welcome John Livesey, the pitch whisperer to Making Bank. Thanks, Josh. Great to be with you. For sure. Excited to have you, man. I was, uh, I was super pumped when I saw you were coming on the show. And actually, I've followed some of your content over the years and everything. And so it, uh, it was great. So we, we own a big company here and we do a lot of different stuff. And so I know we've used some of, you, some of your information and everything. But give us a little background, like how you got started in this and, and kind of we'll go from there. Sure. I actually majored in advertising many years ago in college. I was completely fascinated by what motivated people to change their behavior. And I realized that the commercials that I really resonated with, whether they were on the Super Bowl or wherever, were the ones that had some kind of emotional connection. And then I um, had a career selling advertising for Condé Nast, which has got brands like GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair and Arc Digest about 23 altogether, and I would call on big companies like Lexus, and they'd say, you know, we looked at 15 different brands, we've narrowed it down to five, we're going to pick three, and you each get to come in and pitch back-to-back -back for 30 minutes, do not talk about numbers. And half of the reps were deer in headlights. They couldn't talk about <laughs> circulation or income, or and I realized whoever told the best story got the sale. And that's where I launched my speaking career while I was still working at Condé Nast. I would speak to the advertisers' sales teams on how to sell to the luxury market using storytelling. And then I you know, have been on my own now for several years, getting hired by tech companies and healthcare companies who realize that the old way of selling, of just pushing out facts and figures, is just not enough anymore. 
I guess, how did you start to develop or develop the, I guess, the framework or the structure to, you know, story selling? Well, before selling advertising for Condé Nast, I worked for an ad agency, a creative boutique in Los Angeles, where we created commercials for movies coming out on home video. If you can remember Mm. when Blockbuster was on every corner. And we realized that if the movie hadn't done well in theaters, we could reposition it and tell a different version of that movie in a 30-second commercial story and make people want to go rent or eventually buy it on a DVD. So that's really where I honed my storytelling skills and then started applying that to selling based on clients saying, you know, we don't need you to come talk about numbers. We can get that ourselves. And so, you know, research shows that people buy emotionally, whether it's a house, a car, a tech hiring a consultant, a coach, whatever it is, deciding to take a job, you're all, all that selling and people are responding emotionally. And when you learn to tell a story that other people see themselves in, that's where the magic happens, Josh, because Mm. they feel connected to the story. You're not the hero of the story. You're more of a Sherpa or Yoda in Star Wars. So if you just have a story that you describe someone who's very similar to the potential buyer you're talking to, and you describe that person's pain points and struggles before working with you or buying your product and how much better their life is now, and they see themselves, that sounds like me, I want to go on that journey with you. You're no longer pushing out facts, but you're pulling people in and tugging at the heartstrings. So connecting them into the story, is that kind of what the whole, I guess, not really secret, but the whole magic, you know, as you said, you know, happens or where it happens from. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example. I think that'll make it come together. So uh, I was working with Olympus Medical and they said, oh, we have this product. It makes surgeries go 30% faster. And we're telling doctors that and we're not getting as many sales as we think we should. And I said, yes, because that's just a fact. There's no emotion. There's no story. So I asked a bunch of questions and I turned it into this case story, as you referenced, which imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was six months ago using this equipment when he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. The doctor comes out and says, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine, and then turned to the rep and said, you know, this is why I became a doctor from moments like this. Now that rep tells that case story to another doctor at another hospital who sees themselves in it and says, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. So that's the example. No, that's great. Uh, it definitely connects you into it. And you're like, oh man, I, I can see why I need that for sure now. Yeah. And the client said, wow, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, we're not even thinking that a character would be the patient's family in the story. So when you were deciding what angle you're going to be telling the story from, I said, you know, dad, doctors could make more money going out 30% faster. The hospitals would make more money. But who's really benefiting? And you see how I pulled you into the story if you ever waited for someone you love. And even if you haven't, right. you can probably imagine somebody and what it would feel like. So there's four parts to a really great story that we can give everybody. The good news is you don't have to be this gifted storyteller like an athlete or a performer to tell a good story. The first part is the exposition. You're like a journalist. The who, what, where, when. You paint the picture in order to get people in the story. Now you see I gave the the doctor's name, we know how long ago, where, all that. Then the problem is the second step. And here's the secret, Josh, to that. The better you describe the problem, the more people think you have their solution. 
you're showing empathy for what it's like to wait in the waiting room. And if you get 60 minutes cut off of that, i.e. in this case, 30% faster than normal, that's huge. Then your solution, the doctor says, you know, they're going to be fine. But the story doesn't end there. The fourth part is the resolution. When the doctor says that dialogue to the rep, oh, this is why I became a doctor. And that's really, imagine if the Wizard of Oz ended and Dorothy just got in the balloon to go back to Kansas at the end. But no, there's that wonderful resolution scene where she's like, there's no place like home and you were there and I learned so much. That's why that story is a classic. Yeah, that, that, okay, I got you. So um, with that then, what, as, as we have that framework, what are the different types of questions that we're asking along that path so we can start to construct that story? Well, I think the checklist you need before you even start asking questions is, is my story clear? Is it concise? And is it compelling? So you need to practice your stories with people to make sure okay. if, if it's not clear and you confuse people, they're going to say no. And we know the confused mind always says no, and they're not going to tell you they're confused. Is it concise? Why does it need to be concise? So that they can remember and repeat it, Josh. Mm. Because there's the meeting after the meeting. So they hear three pitches. Then they have another meeting. They go, well, what'd you think? They all sound the same. I guess we should go with the cheapest. But if they go, you know, that Josh guy told me a story of how he helped somebody. It sounds just like us. I think we should go with him. But if you told, if your story's not concise, they can't remember the story to repeat to other decision makers. And finally, is it compelling? That's the emotion. Is it tugging on the heartstrings in any way? So once you know that your story has to have those three C's, the questions you start digging around to figure out how to construct the story using those exposition, problem, solution, resolution structure would be what kinds of objections do you get when you pitch this? And can we answer those objections in the story so that the objection doesn't even come up? Hmm. I can give you an example of that if you'd like. Sure. So again, with Olympus Medical, they also have a 4K resolution monitor and they were talking about pixels and all kinds of, you know, technical details. But now they tell this story that their Dr. Peterson um, was in a rural hospital in Minnesota, which is rural hospitals are not known for cutting edge technology, but decided to test it. And the rep Blake was in the room in case something went wrong. And during the surgery, in this particular case, the patient uh, is extremely overweight. And Dr. Peterson, because of that situation, hit a bleeder and the room just gasped. Because <gasps> to your naked eye, all you see is a sea of red. How is Dr. Peterson going to find the source of that bleeder in time to save this patient? And Dr. Peterson had been trained by Blake to look up very calmly at the resolution monitor and he could see subtle colors in red between oxygenated blood and non-oxygenated blood that your naked eye can't see. And that's what allowed him to find the source of the bleeder, save the patient's life. After the surgery, Dr. Peterson said to Blake, you know, we don't always need a monitor like this, but boy, when we need one, we need one. Blake tells that story to other doctors. He no longer has the objection of, well, that's kind of expensive for us to be buying something we're not going to use every time. That goes out the window because we put it into the story. And we also used a technique of storytelling where I'm telling you a dialogue 
So you're eavesdropping in on the conversation in present time. I didn't say, you know, you notice how I said, you know, Dr. Peterson said, you know, we don't always. No, Dr. Peterson said, as if you're hearing it. as if Right, like overhearing it. Right. So he's answering the objection in the story. No, that's that's I, that's great. So we have our three C's. We we have our framework, and then we are figuring out what our objections are that we want to take and yep. weave into our story. Mm-hmm. And we're positioning our story from we're listening to it as we're overhearing it. Correct. Yes, in the present tense. Yes, like you're eavesdropping in, so you feel like you're in the story. Awesome. So then how do we go from there then to create this whole story around our product or our idea or whatever that might be? Well, you literally say, typically I work with people who've made some sales already and they're turning a case study (laughs) into a case story. And you say, okay, who are some of our best customers that we want more of? And you're like, well, we, you know, we sold to GE. All right. What's the story on that? Well, we have this five page case study. No one's going to read that. You need to have it down to a minute, minute and a half at the most case story. How long ago did GE come to you? Who's the person that made the decision to hire you? What was their problem? Not just one problem, but multiple problems. Do we care if the problems aren't, if the stakes aren't high in a story, nobody cares. If he's just trying to save money and do something faster, that's not enough. It has to be, he was so overwhelmed. He was uh, getting sleepless nights with the stress of all that, you know, something along those lines. All right. And then whatever your solution is. And now what is life like for this person? Oh my God, they're sleeping better. They're able to do other things besides just, you know, putting out fires all day long. They're not burning out anymore. And then you've got a case story and then you run it through the three C's. And then, so based on that, what's the best way then to actually extract and understand what like that person's pain is or whatever. So you can start to then create that solution. Ask them, listen to what they tell you. And the better listener you are, you know, I have a theory that soft skills make you strong. And the three soft skills are listening, empathy, and storytelling. When you combine those three soft skills together, you get the emotional connection that drives people to change their behavior and want to buy you or whatever you're selling. So people will say to you, I'm stressed out because this job is so overwhelming. Then you can ask them this question, anything else? And they'll give you another problem. Well, yeah, it didn't used to be like this, but it just, I don't see it ending. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm worried about losing my job if I, cause I can't keep up. It's like the, you know, the, I love Lucy episode with the candy coming out of the conveyor belt. Okay. Now I know how to describe that in a story. How much better do you feel now? Six months after hiring us At, you literally, that's what people, when, you know, when you hear a good story, you're like, are you in my head? Because you're using dialogue right from somebody else's mouth. It's just like them. If you have one good client, you probably have a hundred you can go after. But if you can describe that story of the happy client and what their life was like before you in a story, others will see themselves in the story. Mm. So just almost going in and interviewing your top 10 best clients to start exactly. to create that language and yes. the, in that uh, verbiage. Like for myself as a sales keynote speaker, I've had many clients say to me, oh, we are so tired of coming in second place when we pitch against competitors. 
boom. What do you think one of my pain points is that I say when I come in and give a talk? You're going to start winning new business pitches. I had one client win four in a row after hearing my talk and working with me. Nice. And they're like, oh, that's, how did you know? That's, yeah, that's exactly, I listened and used it in my marketing materials. So then tell us, I mean, based off of that, how'd you become known as the pitch whisperer? Ah, well, Anthem Insurance uh, had hired me to speak to their team, and I also asked a lot of questions. I said, well, what else is going to happen in the two-day summit? I'm kicking it off if I'm your chosen speaker. And they said, well, at the end of the first day, we're going to have an improvisation session, and the audience is going to shout out objections, and people on stage are going to pretend to be doctors, and the other people are going to be, you know, be playing the Anthem people, and trying to learn how to handle that. And I said, well, what if I stayed after my talk and could whisper in people's ears something from my talk if they got stuck? Because in uh, improvisation, it's always yes and. You try to keep going. Mm, you don't right. stop the process. And they go, oh my God, that'd be amazing. And that's actually how I got picked over the other speaker they were interviewing because I came up with that idea and offered it. And then I was telling that story to Inc. Magazine because I said, you know, people said, oh, could you be in my ear all the time when I'm in the field? And she goes, the Inc. Uh, magazine reporter said, oh, you're the pitch whisperer. And I said, oh, I like that. And so I've now trademarked it. And you can Google the pitch whisperer and all my content shows up. Because everybody knows what a horse whisperer is, maybe even a dog whisperer, but they don't know what a pitch whisperer is. And it's the same thing. I calm you down. I show you how to be confident. And in my case, teach people how to become the Picasso of pitches. Because if you're painting pictures with your words and telling stories, you might as well become the Picasso of those pitches and stories. No, that's awesome. During night, I guess, you know, doing a lot with sales and everything else, what are kind of the three big sales struggles that you've seen? Well, the one big one is that people forget that people buy you first. Mm. Most salespeople jump right into, let me tell you about my product with a bunch of facts and figures. No, you got to sell yourself first. And the best way to do that is with a story of origin. What got you into this business? What made you become an architect, a lawyer, a consultant, uh, whatever it is you're doing, a coach, a speaker? That's what people connect with. I helped an architecture firm win a billion dollar pitch against two other firms to renovate the Pittsburgh airport. So the stakes were high. And the client had said to the firm, we're going to pick the firm we like the most because you can all do the job or you wouldn't be in the final three. And that's when they brought me in. They said, where do we even start? Because they're basically tech people. They like to talk about square footage and stuff. <laughs> and I said, well, the team slide is really key. And they go, oh, we were going to skip that if we ran out of time. I go, no, in this case, with that criteria of likability, that's the most important slide. Oh. I said, what are you going to say? Well, I've been here 10 years. I do this. I'm like, no. Bob, what made you become an architect? Well, I was... 11 years old, I played with Legos. Now I have a son that's 11. I still play with Legos with him. I'm passionate about this. Great. How about you, Sue? Where were you before here? Uh, I was in the Israeli army. I'm like, okay. Uh, I bet you learned about focus and discipline. And since if they hire you, this team, you're in charge of keeping sure this is on time and under budget. You've got the perfect background. So I helped them pull out those stories of origin. And that's, in addition to the case stories, what helped them win. Uh, another big mistake, really bad opening and a really bad closing. Most people get up there and say the cliche, oh, thanks for this opportunity. We're excited to be here. 
Nothing is memorable. Everyone else says it. And guess what? It's not about you. No one cares that you're excited. So you, instead, I teach them how to grab their attention right away, like a James Bond movie. You want to grab them. We're here today because your CEO has tasked you with getting this airport ranked from 24 to number one in five years. We've assembled the perfect team to help you do that. See how much better that is than, yep. we're excited to be here. Or the worst, the third and worst thing is ever, well, that's all we got. Any questions? That is not a closing, Josh. And I am sad to say I see it time and again in rehearsals. You need to tug at those heartstrings and sum up why this matters to you. And it's not just another job or a sale or a talk and get them emotionally excited about working with you, not just open it up for Q&A. No, that's, that's great. I mean, I think that's huge because a lot of people don't look for those different options. Obviously, you know, we, uh, when I introduced you, talked about your TED Talk and had over a million views and everything else. And what's kind of the whole message or thought process behind that, um, yeah, you know, be yeah. the lifeguard of your own life? It's unlike in a hurricane, no one's going to come rescue you when disaster happens. And we've all embraced disaster and change and disruption with the pandemic, right? Did anybody come help you? No, you had to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like you're going to be homeschooling your kids. If you've got kids, you're going to have to figure out how to set your home office up. You're going to have to do, you're not going to be able to do all the, you know, you're like, well, I got to be my own lifeguard. We're in a disruptive situation. And so whether you get laid off from a job is what my TEDx talk was about, or you deal through a pandemic or or less. Yesterday, I was on an airplane coming back from a talk in Ottawa, Canada, and we were on the jetway at 630 in the morning. And they go, everybody back. The uh, FAA has announced that there's a problem with the computers and no one's flying into the States until they figure that out. It's going to be three hours minimum. I got to be my own lifeguard. I'm on my phone right. <laughs> booking my next, you know, I'm never going to make that connection back to Austin. I got to figure out that, you know, if this, I got to not sit passively waiting wait for the airline to figure out how to rebook me because all the seats will be gone by then, right? Because somebody else who knows how to use their phone will be taking whatever seats are open on the next flight out because uh, I'm definitely missing my connection. So that is an example of being the lifeguard of your own life. No, that's great. Uh, we got a little bit of time left. Um, what's something you're like, oh man, I was hoping Josh was going to ask me this or I, I know I really need to share it because it's going to make a huge impact on the listeners. I would say that my big mission in life is to help as many people as possible get off the self-esteem roller coaster. I was on it. It's exhausting. You only feel good about yourself if you're winning and you're hitting your goals and you feel bad if you've got a rejection or you're laid off or whatever else might happen. That who we are is bigger than any one thing happening to us at any time. So think of yourself as the movie director of your own life. Zoom out and say, I can yell cut. I can recast this. I can change the location. I don't have to keep playing out this horror movie in my head of what the future is going to be because a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of sleepless nights worrying about the future. Say cut, be in the present moment, and realize that who you are is bigger than any one thing happening to you. Mm, that's great. And you have a book that just came out or it's coming out, The Sales in the Tale? Yes, it's a business fable. And if people take out their phone and text the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H, got to emphasize that P, to 66866, you get the first chapter for free. And it's all about a salesperson struggling in a slump, and then somebody shows them how to tell stories and how that impacts not just their sales, but their personal life. 
Awesome, guys. And uh, the text number is right here below with the code. Make sure you guys grab that. And where can they find the book and stuff after that? On Amazon? or it's On Amazon, yep. And like I said, if you can't remember the name of the book, The Sale is in the Tale or johnlivesay.com, just Google the Pitch Whisperer and my content shows up that way. Awesome. Guys, I hope you guys are really paying attention to what John was talking about today. Tons of amazing content in a short amount of time. Make sure you guys go back, listen, rewind, watch this, uh, listen to this uh, episode again, and then take those notes and then start to apply them. He gave you a framework, different types of questions to ask, and then you can start to structure whether it's your business or whether you're, you're out in sales or maybe you're trying to close on a real estate deal and you need to be better than the other guy that you're uh, putting your bid in for. You can now accomplish this with what John is teaching you. And he's got a whole handful of books out there that teach all of this as well. Full, packed full of great content and everything. So, John, I really appreciate you coming on Making Bank today, teaching people how to make some more bank with uh, the Pitch Whisperer. And uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, Josh. I am Josh Felber. You were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.